Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to the show. Welcome back from Comic-Con. We're here to talk to you today about maybe the best Quentin Tarantino film there has ever been made, possibly. I don't know. Let's talk about Glorious Bastards, guys. We'll see you in just one quick second. It's Action Movie Anatomy. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Action Movie Anatomy. Boom! <laughs> Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Look at that. He knows the laugh. I he do. knows what's up. What's going on, guys? How y'all doing? Welcome back to the show, Action Movie Anatomy. Back from San Diego Comic Con in Los Angeles. Started a little late today, guys. I apologize. Those of you that are in the chat, thank you for holding on. Thanks for hanging on. We have a great show for you today. Uh, I have a very special guest, a first-time guest on the show, Mr. Ryan Nelson. Yes, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here talking my. Favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? I love that. I, you have notes here written down Ton by hand. Of notes. That's a, that's a good move. Andrew and I used to do that. No. Yeah, uh, I, I need to do notes because this movie is just so. There's a lot going there's on. So much happening. It's yeah. so long and a lot of great moments. So, so Ryan, uh, Ryan is a producer here at the Popcorn Talk Network, kind of running Popcorn Talk right now. Yes, overseeing right? it. That's uh, that's kind of what you're doing. So uh, we've been meeting and talking a lot about different ideas for the network, different ideas for the action brand, uh, and we had talked about bringing him onto the show, and this just happened to be. Perfect, because it's your favorite Quentin Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino film. Yes, it totally fit. I'm so honored to be here. I'm a, I've been a massive fan of the show for a while, and I love producing here. So when the opportunity came, I jumped on it. Yes. And I'm going in like Lieutenant Aldo Rain the Apache. Yeah, I forgot that his name was Aldo the Apache. I have not <laughs> seen this movie since 2009. I that blows me away. Theaters, man. This is a movie I come back to at least once every year. Wow. Yeah. No, this is a constant. I, I own this on Blu-ray. I have it on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah. So I am constantly, this is just a, a repeat viewing for me for any Quentin Tarantino film. I mean, a lot of his films are so long, yeah. it's a pretty big commitment, but right. this one, after a certain amount of time, you just have to finish it. It's pretty rewatchable, I have to say. I found this movie to be pretty engaging. The thing, the thing that I remembered from this movie, or the things that I remembered from this movie, obviously the introduction of Christoph Waltz mm. to American audiences, um, he's terrific. You remember a lot of the, the craziness at the end with the fantasy outcome of uh, killing all of the Nazi regime. Definitely a, a fantastical element there, changing history. <laughs> and then sort of Brad Pitt, I just remember this, sort of the combination of Brad Pitt and sort of his peak moment uh like i think this is kind of his peak as an actor um peak um we'll we'll get into that i think uh what was so great about this movie is you have you know like this gi jews in a way in this movie and also it's like you know the the toppling of the third reich that's not in the history books yeah right really cool to see quentin tarantino's take on it and just an awesome world war ii film at the same time yeah yeah it's it's a it's a a really cool moment in tarantino's career as well we'll talk a little bit about sort of where he stood as a director at the time but guys if you're watching if you're listening for the very first time this is action movie anatomy on the popcorn talk network the online broadcast network dedicated to talking movies all things movie related and pop culture by the bucketful we talk action movies on this show uh we've been talking about them for years and <laughs> and uh, the very literally years is four and a half years in. I four and a half. I can't believe we haven't covered this movie by now. To be honest, I was shocked when you asked. I said, "Oh, you haven't covered that already." Yeah, it's a favorite. You've done love. Pulp Fiction. You've done a few others. We've done Pulp Fiction. We've done Django. Uh, we've done Kill Bill One. Right. We've never done. <laughs> I don't know if two qualifies. Yeah, we haven't done Reservoir Dogs. We've not done Hateful Eight. Um, hmm. 
uh, Jackie Brown. So I think this will probably be the fourth Quentin Tarantino film we've car- we've covered. Uh, but usually, generally speaking, uh, rule number one of the movies we cover is that the hero always plays by their own rules. Mm. Who's the hero of this movie, really? I think we got two heroes. Uh, I mean, the obvious pick is Aldo Rain, who yeah. establishes his rules up front in his first scene. Right. And then the other one's Shoshana. Right, yeah, Meliana <laughs> Ren, who's an incredible classical pianist. Did you know this? I did not know that. Unbelievable. She's, wow. I listened to, uh, you know, Spotify has those mixes they make. Right. Uh, one of them is uh, Peaceful Piano that I found at one point. It's like it's her? 50 tracks that are just, like, amazing. Uh, and one of them is her. Wow. So she's a great <laughs> actress and pianist. Yeah, she's like, I've listened, her track, I always notice her face. I'm like, I forgot that it was the same girl. Right, it's the same girl. But the thing with her, she she does play by her own rules yeah. uh, later in the movie. And I think, you know, I think at the heart of this movie, she is the main hero yeah. from uh, a certain point of view, obviously. I mean, the movie intends her to be. But, um... Yeah, I think it's Aldo Rain and her. Those yeah. are the two main heroes in Pair. the story. Yeah, with his movies, it's rarely do you have one character that the movie's about because it's always kind of ensemble. So right. generally speaking, it's like a like a duo. Rule number two: the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, beings, things, dinosaurs in the room. And if you say, if you say that the villain is Christoph Waltz, so I think it's you. He feels like he's the a antagonist. Definitely. I mean, even oh, though yes. Hitler is truly the villain, it's and the Nazi Party is truly the villain. But like, I think as a character, he's the villain. It's Hans Landa, yeah. And he and Aldo are the smartest guys in the room. So from an action movie perspective, it, that works really well. Right. It's him and Aldo, and their scenes together are dynamite. And yeah. I mean, Hans Landa, in my opinion, might be like one of Quentin Tarantino's best characters. It's right. Just so well written. Well, more on that to come. So more on that to come. Yeah. Teasing. Um, rule number three: the movie is driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure. And yes, the answer is. Yes, it is. It is driven by the bastards. They are military. Um, and then finally, rule number four: the movie contains a minimum of one explosion. Uh, well, there's a burning movie theater. Um, plus, that explodes. Yeah, <laughs> at the very end. And Hitler's head it. explodes. It does explode. It gets pretty shot up. <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy. They show that shot. I want to talk about that. There's a, there's a lot to talk about today, guys. So Tons those are the that. those are the rules of Inglorious Bastards uh, here on Action Movie Anatomy. Uh, quick Patreon shout out. We have some new patrons in the army: Tim Allensworth and Kyle Copen. Copen, maybe. Copen? Uh, we salute, salute you. you. There you go. Um, all right, guys, coming up today on the show, we're going to be talking about career-defining role, Brad Pitt. We're going to be talking about all of our favorite segments, thesis statement, fist pump moment, all the fun things there. Uh, we Today on uh, The Action Guys, I'm going over to the other studio that the you know, Action has a brand to record an episode with uh, Jeff Snyder. Ooh. We're going to be doing an episode of, uh, it's going to be Quentin Tarantino versus Paul Thomas Anderson, who's got the greater career. Um, so that should be a really fun conversation. So be sure to tune in for that. We got that coming up this week as well. Over on the Action Industries YouTube channel, you can get the full video there. Um, so like, subscribe, comment, and like, subscribe, comment here on the Popcorn Talk Network. Leave your thoughts below. Um, you know, be sure to give us that little like that notification bell so you guys know when we go live. Yes, sure please do that. <laughs> um, now, if you want to follow along with Ryan. What yes, I'm at, at Ryan Nilsson underscore because at Ryan Nilsson is taken by a pastor in Maine, but I'm trying to get it back. He hasn't tweeted in four years, but uh, so at Ryan Nilsson, N-I-L-S-E-N underscore. That sounds like a jerk. Yeah, he sounds like a jerk, but he, he does have a website <laughs> that's saving Pastor Ryan. Oh, so that's a pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Pretty cool title. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he's not a jerk. He just has your Twitter handle. Uh, my Twitter handle used to be Ben underscore Bateman. Hmm. Years ago, now everyone smirks at the underscore. Yeah, when Just, I started, when I started on Twitter, like before I really used Twitter, it was Ben underscore Bateman. And then there was this girl <laughs> I was dating named, uh, well, I'll tell. I think her name was Kelsey Dara. I don't think you guys remember these videos. Um, they used to they, uh, the the shit girlfriends say, shit girls say those videos on YouTube. No, from like five seven years ago, something like that. They were like these comedy videos. They got really really popular. Um, and 
I was dating this girl for a short while, and she was she was pretty famous at the time because she was doing a lot of that stuff, and she the shows coming up and stuff. And I remember, oh no, wait, yeah, that's her, yeah, Kelsey. I think this video did pretty well, right? Wow, how many views are on this? Yeah, it looks like a lot. I uh, I'm seeing eleven million. Yeah, eleven million on this guy. He's so. got really popular. Jeff so. in the booth, yeah. by the way. Yeah, Jeff Jeffrey Jeff Crane Graham. Graham. <laughs> um, so years ago, I mean, this is a long time ago, I think at least six years ago. So long story short, though, she had like a pretty big following. And she was like, you got to get rid of that underscore. Yeah, it's not a good. <laughs> so I need to get rid of that. Help you got to get rid of something guys. better. And so I changed it to Ben Bateman Media and I've been Ben Bateman Media across all platforms. You can kill the video, Jeff. Yeah. Just put Kelsey on blast. Though I did a few years ago back go on. She had a show she was doing for Watchable. Uh, oh, really? And it, she was interviewing her ex-boyfriends. And she brought me in and interviewed me for it. Wow. So I know she put me on blast at one point. Check out the video, guys. Watchable. (laughs) So, oh, it's showing on the episode. That's pretty funny. There we go. Uh, Look at that. I just thought thought he was showing it for us to see. I didn't realize. Now the audience. You never know with Jeff. never know. All right, guys. So uh, that was a a non sequitur. You guys can find me at Ben Baby Media, as I mentioned, if you want to find me. Any of the places. uh, The Action Brand is available at Action Industries on Instagram. Team Action Show on Twitter. Uh, And check out the YouTube. Um, And I mentioned Patreon. We'll get more to that later. So. Let's get into our first segment of the show. Thesis statement. This is your biggest, boldest thought about the film. Something happens, you kind of look around, you're like, are you seeing this right now? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. you got to watch this. You get so excited, you want to call your buddy. Um, and I'm going to jump in first because you kind of let in with what you just said a second ago. Um, and I'm just going to say it outright. Hans Landa is the greatest character mm. ever in a Quentin Tarantino film. That's a bold statement. I think it's true. I just, like, he basically won two Oscars for it, right? Yeah. He pretty much played the same character again three years later. Oh, absolutely. And just won another Oscar. Like, he's so good. The first, because my other thesis in this was thinking, like, the first 15 minutes of this film might be the best 15 minutes in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I don't know if that's necessarily true because there's some pretty unbelievable it's, scenes. It's a classic scene that everything about that scene, if you analyze it, yeah. every beat, every moment, it's just adding to those characters. I think he couldn't even describe it as, you know, it, the, the amount of tension in that scene. It's Hitchcockian. Right. It's it's really fascinating to see it. And it's like an elastic band that you keep stretching, stretching, stretching. And yeah. that's why the scene's so long is because it can get so intense. If it was shorter, it doesn't get as intense. And then even after he figures out that they're under the floorboards. Yeah. You're just starting to, to realize, okay, well, what's this going to mean for them under there? Are they all going to escape? And you know a Quentin Tarantino movie, he's also playing his strengths. We know how violent they can get. Yeah. So just seeing that, the amount of fear that's in you as an audience member watching it and a viewer, it, it's just building up. You don't yeah. know what's going to happen. It's a great scene. It's a horrific scene. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's, uh, it's so well acted. It's so well written. He's such an engaging character on so many levels. But um, I... I because I think that Ezekiel twenty five seventeen is probably the most iconic Quentin Tarantino scene ever. Which, which one? Because uh, my favorite Quentin Tarantino scene is the final scene of Pulp Fiction in the diner. Okay, because right, Cause he says it again there. Yeah. yeah, I think the original, the original Big Kahuna Burger scene mm-hmm. when he. Yeah. I think that's probably in any Quentin Tarantino movie the one that feels like it's the most probably the most iconic. Like the shot of Sam Jackson turning that slow pan where you see mm. his eyes, I think is maybe the most iconic shot he's ever had in a movie before. It's yeah. the one that comes to mind for me the most when I think of like a Quentin Tarantino scene. That is and a QT then, moment. Right there. And you see like the two of them with the guns and like that quick pan back and forth. Right. Um, but I mean, this this scene is is right up there. So it is right up there. I think there's one more scene in this movie that I put just an inch above it. Oh, really? Yeah, the bar scene. But okay. uh, but yeah, I mean, this what a way to start a film. Yeah. And he's known for just incredible opening sequences. I think 
just this this is iconic and like i I brought this book um i went to film school and you know the cover of the film book is hans landa at the end of that scene aiming the gun at shoshana while she's running away um this is the screenwriting book we took alternative screenwriting and it is just so well written every moment you can just see he's a detective hans landa is he's almost not all Nazi? You no. think he, he has alternative motives. He's just this kind of crazy guy that was hired by the Nazis, and now he's even like a, a weirder, more crazier force in nature. Yeah, his story and his arc in this movie is pretty satisfying, the way that it ends. I, it's it's pretty wonderful, and it makes his character all the more fascinating to know mm-hmm. that in the end. Uh, but yes, I think my thesis statement is that he's the greatest character, because the only other characters that I would think of in a Quentin Tarantino movie that would really be on the level is oh. like, doesn't feel like there's anybody in Pulp Fiction that is such a memorable single character that they stand above all the rest like there are some great characters i mean uh, you know mia wallace is amazing Absolutely. and jules is incredible vincent like a lot of the characters in that movie then you go you skip jackie brown the bride would be very close she's a great character hans Lund is so layered so complicated though and I, Cal- I, calvin uh, candy is a really good character he is i think he's a little more maniacal and there's not as much underneath yeah. as there is for hans landa and I, so that's why i would I agree? think it's a great thesis statement. It feels I would agree. correct. It feels correct. It feels correct. My if thesis statement. I'm sorry, Ryan. Just before we dive into your thesis statement, I found a little bit of Tarantino on Londa. He agrees that Londa might be his greatest character ever written. Um, wow. He's on record saying that. And interestingly, he originally wanted Leo to play it, but then he realized he wanted a either German or Austrian to actually play the part. Of Christoph Waltz, he says that Waltz gave him the movie back. Wow. Because he knew the movie couldn't be made without Londa, but he also feared the part was unplayable until he right. met Walt. So pretty interesting to hear Tarantino speak on that. Very interesting. And I think, you know, obviously they weren't going to make the movie at one point because they couldn't find someone to play that character. And after his audition, he just knocked out of the park and they said, all right, let's go. Let's get filming. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great thesis statement. My thesis statement is now I, I am a major fan of this movie. This is like a top 50 favorite of mine. Yeah. Uh, again, visit every year. So. Yeah, I, I think this is both Quentin Tarantino's most impressive film he's ever made, and I also think it's a top three movie of the decade of the 2000s. Really? That's okay. my thesis statement. Top three of the decade? Top three of the decade. That's a, that's a heavy statement. The sir. amount of craftsmanship in, that's on display in this movie wow. is un, undeniable. Now, I mean, Pulp Fiction is going to be his most well-known that probably defined his career, but I think this is his most well-made movie, and I think that this movie... For that decade of the 2000s, there's just so much on display. Um, and I, mean, I mentioned Hitch- Hitchcock earlier. Yeah. There's that on display. There's the action in this movie is, I think, some of the most honed in action. Yeah. It's incredible in Kill Bill, but it can just get a little, you know, all over the place at some points. I think he even had to tone it down. It's. I think this movie has such a great vision it's so peculiar and different from his other movies yeah. so that that's my thesis wow very good thesis mm-hmm. uh that's that's bold i mean i i'm just starting i was already just counting in my head movies from the 2000s that i could throw ahead of it mm-hmm. but that's, well, that year i mean i i'm surprised it didn't get best picture i know it lost to i think was it nine no it lost to hurt locker hurt Lo- um I mean, I've watched this movie way more than I've watched Hurt Locker. Hurt Locker's great. I mean, it's this great. movie is, is more memorable. This movie doesn't lag. Hurt Locker lags in the last 30 minutes, I think. Um, mm-hmm. This movie is better. Uh, I, mean, I will say, I think for people who watch this the first time, 
it's it's hard. I, I mean, I personally loved it the first time I saw it, but a lot of my friends, even my best friend from high school, introduced me to Quentin Tarantino. He said he couldn't really get through the first time, and then upon rewatch, he really fell in love with because it. Because he found it hard to watch because it's upsetting, or because he felt it was slow? I think you just you weren't used to the pacing of the movie, and you didn't know the whole story, because upon rewatch, you know where it's going, so you can pay attention to more finer details. That's I think- so interesting, because I, I find, like, I found this to be so compelling this time um, in a way that I, I tried. So I have this project that I'm doing called 100 Movies I Missed. Right. And um, I've talked about it on here a bunch of times. So just in case you guys are hearing for the first time, I basically took a poll online, a combination of that, Schmodown movies, other stuff. 100 movies that I felt like I needed to watch that I've never watched before for one reason or another. So it could be like anything from like E.T., which I had never seen before, all the way to like uh, the only Tarantino movie I'd never watched was The Hateful Eight. Right. So I wrote that down. Black Hat, that terrible Chris Hemsworth movie, the only Michael Mann movie I'd never watched, like s- stuff like that that I wanted to make sure I covered. And <laughs> I got 32 <clears throat> movies into the project, and movie 33, like a month ago, over a month ago, was supposed to be The Hateful Eight. Mm. And I tried three different times to watch it. I got, I got 20 minutes in, then I watched 20 more minutes, then I watched 40 minutes, and eventually just turned it off. And I haven't gone back to the project because I'm so frustrated with the fact that I can't get through Hateful Eight because I wow. hate it so much. You hate it. I can't stand it. It's, his pacing is, it definitely takes time to get used to. I think he is someone you have to see in theaters. I've just, see I, theaters. Dude, I've seen every Tarantino movie, and some of the old ones I've seen like five or six times. Right. Like, like I mean, I know the movie's like the back of my hand. <laughs> and this movie, the combination of like, the combination of like, Kurt Russell dropping the N-bomb every four sentences, mixed with like, beating on a woman, mixed with the yeah. fact that it's just like, all the same actors playing the exact same character. They all feel like the it's same character. Watch. It's a tough watch. <laughs> and they're the same actors you've seen in every Tarantino movie. So like, I just, eventually I will get through the movie and I think I think I was speaking more for non-film lovers. Yeah. Like, if my parents watch this, unless I was forcing them to watch it, it might be hard to get through. You might change the channel if you're watching this on cable. If there's a commercial break, you might flip it to a sports or something like that. I think, um, I think if you're not a massive film lover, it's a hard watch the first time just because you don't know the entire story. Similar yeah. to Pulp Fiction, if you don't know the entire film, there are some slow moments in Pulp Fiction. The dialogue's incredible, but he really likes to just space it out. Yeah, he really likes to take his time. And that's that's one of the hallmarks of Tarantino. And so, you know, once you get on board and you're there for it, like, I have promised myself that I will finish that movie. Yeah, so eventually it. I will write a, a Twitter review of that film. Mm. Um, but for now, we're here to talk about this movie, not yes. that movie. Yes. Um, I think it's a terrific thesis statement. It's bold. Thank you. You, you did what many people on the show don't do. Have where, to be bold. Yeah. Have to be, go for it. And I, I, I love this movie. I think you get more out of it each time you watch it. So I think we should go into the next part of the show, which is fist pump moment. Fist pump moment. Yeah. Do you want to go first? Wait a minute. Did I introduce thesis statement with the fist pump moment description? I feel like I did. Because I've already introduced fist pump moment on the show. This is the part of the movie that you watch. Yes, I totally did. 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 Oh, my God. Guys. We're doing it now. (laughs) I'm I'm mixed up right now. Somebody is totally going to point it out in the the chat right now. Um, I absolutely introduced thesis statement as fist pump. Thesis statement is supposed to be the biggest, boldest thought about the film. Should be rooted in hyperbole. Right. The biggest this, the only this, the first, the last. Not something about favorite. Top three movie of the 2000s. Perfect. Top three movie of the 2000s. Greatest and his Quentino most character. Of, yeah. Exactly what you want. Uh, not the most exciting part, which is what we're about to do. The most exciting part of the film is the fist pump moment. Something happens, you kind of look around, you're like, yes! Get to watch the rest of this movie. Two fist pump moment introductions. Um, yes, I did. People are <laughs> calling me out. Right. Um, fist pump moment. I'm going to let you go first on this okay, one. Okay, Jeff, I have a sound bite from, uh, I think it's all the way to the left. Every man under my command owes me 100 Nazi scalps. And I want my scalps. And it pans on him. will get me 100 Nazi scalps taken from the heads of 100 dead Nazis. Or you will die trying. Or you will die trying. 
pretty terrific. That is the moment. You're, that opening scene's incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. It almost could stand as a short film. Right. And I think it's a bummer, though, when once it ends, you're like, wow, okay, but she got away. I hope, I hope she's all right. Right. And then hard cut to a 10 hut. And it's one of the most badass monologues Quentin Tarantino's ever written, probably since Pulp Fiction with his Eagle 2517. Yeah. This monologue is everything, man. Yeah. And after it ends, I am fist pumping everyone in the theater yeah. because they are about to get 100 Nazi scouts. Because you're just in. I'm just in. in. Yeah. I'm in. Well, he does such an interesting job. I think when we, we, we covered uh, Django, we had Brianne Chandler on for that like a year ago, probably. Oh, cool. And I remember talking about that. Like the combination of this movie into Django, he was focusing so much on like the most horrible types of humans in the world right right and revenge films yeah you're focusing on nazis and you're focusing on like slave-owning racists Mm -hmm. and so the idea that you could have the most brutally violent revenge movie where like you are seeing the victim kill kill those people right is like uh, this weirdly satisfying fist pump for violence because you're like of course (laughs) it's it's crazy because there's even a movie in in inglorious bastards that's uh what's a nation's pride Yeah, yeah yeah and you know, it's propaganda, right? And you're thinking, like, it's horrifying for us to watch Nazis enjoy that. But in a way, this movie is sort of that for Americans, I know, it's for Americans, or for for the Jewish people. And uh, it's it's a fist bump moment. Brad Pitt's about to go scalp Nazis. I had forgotten that Daniel Bruhl played Frederick Zoller. Uh, yeah, that's where he made his career. Yeah, that's his that's his introduction. And then, of course, he goes on to be in Rush, which I love him in Rush and Baron oh, Zemo's great role. in Rush. Um, but uh, I think that's I think that's terrific. That's a great fist pump moment. I think my fist pump moment probably because it's not. I mean, it is kind of the opening scene, like, but it's like not a fist bump moment. It's just your just jaw kind of drops and they just right. start shooting the floor. That's the moment. No, I was gonna say I was thinking because that's such a that's such a terrifying it like is. the way the moments that are setting up just before that and right. you're like oh they don't understand the length. It's like crazy, but I think my fist bump moment actually is when they're sitting there having. Um, they're sitting there, like, and, and they pick up Shoshana, and she comes, and she's introduced. Oh, my god! And he's like, I'd like you to meet Hans Landa, and it pans up, and you see him, and then it connects the dots that you're like, And the oh. music cuts in, flashback to Au Revoir, Shoshana, and then hard cut back. I think that's the moment for me, because for me, that moment is a fist pump of, like, oh, I know where this is going, like, showdown. Right. There's no way in this movie she's going to lose. And it seems like right now in this movie there's no way he's going to lose. Like, mm. so this is going to be great. Like, this is just what I want to watch. How is this going to work? He's going to interrogate her. She's going to be able to fool him. She's got to hatch a plan. Like, right. you're just in. You're totally in. And it's the first moment you see Hans Landa sort of uh, being outplayed in a way. He doesn't realize who she is. He right, hasn't played he together. saw her face. A guy that's so intelligent up until this point. He's the smartest character in the movie, hands down. He's yeah. a detective. He yep. knows everything. He doesn't know who she is. Yeah. I think that's got to be my fist pump. That's a good fist pump. And then they eat, he eats like uh, some crepes or like a cake or something. It's like, it's like, it's like, like this weird, like homemade whipped cream oh on like a strudel or something. Is and that he's what just it is? enjoying it. And then he dubs his cigarette in it in at it. the end of the scene. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Such a great character. That's a good fist bump moment. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's read some of these. Uh, AJ Lancaster, general, general Lancaster. Mm. Uh, mine's got to be Hugo Stiglitz backstory. Yeah, it's really good. He kills a lot of Nazis. Um, <laughs> Let's see what else we got here. Anybody else? Uh, fist pump. Yeah. Jarvi, fist pump. Pretty much any Londa moment, but one I laughed hard at today was when Londa orders milk for Shoshana. I think he already knows it's her then, but he's still playing oh, along. He orders milk because in the opening scene, he's yeah. like, can I have some of your... He, he offers him wine. Yeah. And he goes, no, you're a farmer. I'll have some of your finest milk, which is in an odd way. Yeah. Like, it emasculates him a little bit. Yeah, right, right. And then when he orders milk for her, she 
even does like a look to the camera like okay yeah right it's great oh that's an awesome moment too. yeah uh let's see anybody else on here with a wow. fist pump moment andrew fudge my fist pump moment when the beer comes and the clubs and clubs oh when the bear club comes and clubs the nazi to death and the last part of that movie when they're at the theater yeah i mean oh because eli roth is the bear jew right the bear jew eli roth from boston yeah just going all out with the boston accent going all out with the accent yeah <laughs> eli roth who at this time had already made hostile but he had put but quentin Tarantino, i think had produced hostile i want if i remember correctly oh interesting yeah so i mean he, he's pretty good in that I, mean, yeah. I thought he crushed it yeah he's also good also in death uh, death proof yeah donnie was, uh, the other connection donnie donowitz yeah. um so guys those are our fist pump moments for inglorious bass we're going to continue, continue moving through the show here um let's get into star profile so there's a lot of stars here mm. um now i didn't list uh i didn't list either hans landa uh, uh christoph, waltz. christoph waltz and i also did not list melanie Laurent because neither mm. was known in america at this time nor daniel brule um well he is listed here but he's not like i've never seen any of these movies have you the countess uh, city of war the story of john rabe no and carabat the legend of satanic mill so really it comes down to brad pitt who was a star and he's the star of the movie that's how this movie really works and gets made is you have brad pitt that's how they're gonna sell it yeah he, he's he's right in it and you have Michael Fassbender, who at this time was up and coming. This was, I think, something that sort of announced him. And yeah. he steals the whole middle of the movie. Yeah. He's brought in as a film critic. Yeah. Who is now a, a corporal. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, he, that whole middle section, he has to carry it. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Archie Hickox. Yeah. So he, he, had, he had had a part in uh, 300, which I think is 2006. Right. Um, good abs. Yep. Hunger, which I've never watched before. Oh, Eden Lake. Hunger's and nuts. Yeah, people like Hunger, right? Yeah, it's the Steve McQueen movie that he made before. Hunger Strike movie. Yeah. Almost the whole things in one take. Yeah. yeah. Great. And then, of course, he makes this film in 2009, and then his career really does take off from here. Um, Magneto. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. First Class is in 2011. Um, I think we can all agree Fassbender is one of the preeminent talents working right now. Um, he's pretty much just amazing in everything he's in. Um, but the three movies that Brad Pitt had made prior to this, I think this is where you really get into the interesting part of one of these guys' careers, is he makes The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford in 2007, mm-hmm. which he's not in a whole lot of. No, he's he's not really into that much, but it's a Western. He's now doing more genre yeah. films. Before that, I don't know if he was necessarily doing specific genres. Yeah, Burn After Reading 2008 and The Curious Case of Benjamin Button 2008. So if you go back to Brad Pitt's career, the guy comes out in Thelma Louise. It's 91. That's where he That's where he gets announced to the world. You mm-hmm. know, By 1995, he's made seven. Four years later, he makes Fight Club. In the, hit, in the course of all this, he's making Meet Joe Black and all these other movies. You get into the early part of the 2000s, and right. it's the Ocean's Eleven movie. He marries Angelina Jolie. There's Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Troy, I mean, Troy. the mid two thousands is huge for Snatch. him. Snatch, yeah, but, oh. but where you get into the really big part of his career and why I say this is his peak right. is because this is where he's not just like Mr. and Mrs. Smith is like I'm really famous. Troy is like I'm really famous. These mm-hmm. movies aren't very good. This is like great. So I'll make the assassination of Jesse James this really slow western where I'm not even gonna really be in it that much. But I'm really good in it. Then I'll make a movie with the Coen brothers after they just won Best Picture. And then I'll go ahead and make a movie with David Fincher. And it'll be right. this crazy movie where I'm like de-aging going for an Oscar. It's like Oscar really nom. Really interesting projects. Yeah. And then, of course, Inglorious. Like this is this is where he's making the biggest, most uh, respected, sought-after films in his career. And so I think it's, it's easy to say this is his peak because – all the expectations on a Brad Pitt movie at this point were like, you're going to be making something that I'll care about. Absolutely. I think that that's, that's fair to say this is his peak. I think you just said it leading up to this. He's now at a star power where he can really pick any of his projects. Yep. And I mean, he already worked with Fincher twice. So doing Curious Case is awesome. And I mean, Burn After Reading, Coen Brothers. I mean, yep. that, that's the genre filmmaker similar to Tarantino. So I bet he was just aching to work with Tarantino. And they had literally won the Oscar for No Country for Old Men yeah. the year before that came out. So um, I think that's really... The, 
the, the peak of his career and where he goes from this, he does, he makes the smart move uh, that a lot of these guys make. He starts producing. Right. And I think he at this point had already been doing it. But the movies he starts producing, I think 12 Years a Slave is him. And that's he produced that guy and Oscar for it. 2013, Big mm-hmm. Short 2015. So, you know, he's in Moneyball in 2011. Which, I might be wrong. I think he produced Moonlight, too. He did. Yeah. 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 He's he's on top of the producing. <laughs> yeah. He's had a really good run. So that's uh, where these guys' careers are. Now, the, the, the real question, though, in that conversation about Brad Pitt is what is Brad Pitt's career defining role? Does he mm. have one? And this is another one I would love to know Jeff Graham, producer up in the booth, what he thinks as well. Because it's hard, uh, it's hard for me to not say Fight Club just because I feel like even though that's not his best film, and it is a great film. I, I mean, you know I love Fincher, Social Network's yeah. maybe my favorite movie. But there's just the the I. The iconography of the imagery in Fight Club, specifically around Brad Pitt. Yeah. I mean, like, when people cite abs, I feel like it's that role. <laughs> it's Brad Pitt in Fight Club. Yeah. yeah. So for me, even though it's not his best film, it's that's his most iconic role, I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really good argument. I think if you're going to talk about the defining role of a generation, it feels like it's it's Tyler Durden in terms of cool factor. I don't yes. know if there's a cooler character that happened in that decade. Probably not. Um, on the other hand, I think Fight Club has... Weirdly enough, Fight Club has aged out. I completely agree. Nobody talks about it. It doesn't come up anymore. The images aren't really that relevant anymore, and right. it doesn't have any. It doesn't have any um, franchise significance in the way where like The Matrix is getting rebooted. So like Keanu's really famous again. Like Neo is a character people talk about. People don't really talk about Tyler Durden anymore. I, I think when everyone's talking about Fight Club, it's more about Fincher. I think that that movie really showed how the scale of which Fincher can do as a director. I mean, there's so many shots in that movie. It's so well edited, so precise that, uh, in particular, I think that's kind of what's standing the test of time, is just talking about how Fincher made it. I also think that that was a really big deal for Edward Norton, too. I mean, his performance is incredible in that. And Brad Pitt, that's probably the first thing you think of. Yeah. But um, were you going to do your, what you think was his defining film or No, no, I mean, the career-defining role, I mean, I think... Role? Where it starts is Fight Club. Like, that's it's Fight Club. That's the first... I think I think you could, you could try to make arguments for other characters, because the reason I brought it up for this episode, the reason I thought it was an interesting game to play, is because I started thinking, is it possible Aldo Rain actually is? Is Ooh. it possible that this movie has lived on in a way... Where it's way more of a relevant movie to to like movies now for whatever reason. Like people that were in this movie still working a lot. Christoph Waltz, still a pretty big name. Tarantino's still kind of at the top of his game. Yeah. Kind of the last really great like Brad Pitt vehicle we've had. Like it's kind of the last one where it was like, this is a Brad Pitt movie. I'm all in on Brad Pitt's great character and his great <laughs> accent. Like Moneyball's two years later, but Moneyball is really good. It's a great movie. Same with Fury. And Fury's a few years later, another World War II film. Yeah. Obviously inferior to this, but Fury never comes up. People, that that movie, that's like the that's it never like, talks. I feel, I feel like I can't remember the last time Fury kept him in conversation. I, I think it probably is Tyler Durden because I can't make a strong argument for Aldo. Um, but it feels like there's a decent argument that they would be number two, maybe. I think well, he does a great job. I think Brad Pitt's at his best in one of these lead supporting roles. Yeah. Like, he's incredible in the Oceans films. Yeah, yeah. I think he, and, but that's Clooney's, that's Clooney's gig. Yeah. But he works so well in this movie. Same thing with, like, 12 Monkeys. Same thing with Seven. Yeah. Like he is just an amazing supporting actor in all those films because he uplifts the lead. Personally, my favorite performance of his might be in Seven because we don't, he, he after that, he does all these crazy different roles. Um, I, even in Snatch, he does yeah. an awesome accent. He pulls it off. Yeah. But I think Seven, just that moment when you when he sees his the box, spoilers, yeah. Yeah. Uh, his wife had uh, that. I mean, not many actors can really pull that off. No, he's great. Guys in the chat here, do you have any uh, opinions on uh, the career defining role for Brad Pitt? I think 
I would have to go with in the end Jeff's argument that it is mm-hmm. Tyler Durden, but I was going to see if maybe you try to convince me that it was that it was Aldo. Um, maybe it's fight club. It's, I think it's, it's fight club. I just think it has to be. I think I think the thing is, uh, it's Christoph Waltz's film. That's what everyone talked about after *Inglorious Bastards*. It's who's this guy? Yeah. Wow. I mean, you even said it's his, his best character. Quentin has written. That is my major takeaway. I actually think I'm surprised. The thing that's really impressive about Aldo Rain in this movie is that he's not in it a lot, but you feel like he's in the entire film. Yeah, right. So, well, he's just the biggest name. I mean, that's just the, that's the thing is that when you talk about star power, right? That when you talk about star power, like you have Brad Pitt at this point in his career starring in your movie. That's why people. That's why the movie gets made. Again, that's why they'll spend seventy million to make this movie. If you don't have Brad Pitt, if <laughs> if you make this movie and it's Edward Norton in two thousand nine, it's not going to be the same thing. Great point. I uh, I do like your point though about Aldo not being in the film much, but still having such an effect. It's almost like the Anthony Hopkins and Hannibal Lecter effect, where just the the presence of the performance is so pervasive that even a small amount of screen time makes such an impact. And he's so confident in the role. Like he he is chewing the scenery literally. Yeah. I, like he has this underbite the entire film and he has this accent. Like he's just going for it. I love it. What's his character's name? Enzo what's he say? Oh when uh when he's pretending to be Italian. Yeah, yeah. He's a Gorlami. Yeah, Gorlami. Gorlami. Yeah. <laughs> Dominic De Coco. Oh, it's so good. Um all right guys, we're gonna get into a little bit of the uh the production development, how this movie got made. Um now, do you know a lot about this? Have you have you done like a lot of research on this? I, I did some research on it and just the fact that, you know, I, I mean Quentin had been writing it for years. Yeah. And I think he even before the Kill Bill movies, he was had a bit of a stall because he didn't know how to end it and then after that he he had put so much time and invested into it that he just felt like he had to have a great ending yeah so i mean i know and i know casting information um even sam levine tells stories about how rigorous that process is and how particular he was because he felt like this was his his masterpiece he was so proud of what he had written he really wanted to perfect it yeah it says he spent over a decade writing the film script because as he told charlie rose in an interview he became too precious about the page meaning the story kept growing and expanding he viewed the script as a masterpiece in the making so he felt it become the best thing he had ever written he wrote the script originally in 1998 but struggled the ending and chose to instead to direct the two-part film kill bill after directing death proof in 2007 he returned to work on inglorious bastards saying it's his favorite thing he's ever written and also the fact that uh he will never explain what the spelling is about it's his spelling right there's says. a u an extra u in inglorious and yeah then there's a e yeah a. bastards or something right. like that um so t- talking about tarantino and his career a little bit when this movie came out this is a really fascinating part of his career because you could say in some ways you could say in some ways that the most iconic movie he ever made is i mean i think it's pulp fiction easily but mm-hmm. This is probably the second most iconic movie. I think this is his most well-made movie. I think there's so much on display here from suspense. Yeah. The amount of tension in that bar scene yeah. is no no other director could have done that. That is him. feels like it's basically Pulp Fiction, then this, then Kill Bill. And it's possibly Kill Bill's too, just because the outfit is so memorable. Um, <laughs> but it's like those are the three movies that feel like they kind of define in the end what people remember about Quentin Tarantino's career. Yeah, I might I might sub in Reservoir over Kill Bill, but uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I like Reservoir more. It's my it's probably my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. But Reservoir Dogs, when you talk about like Fight Club aging out, Reservoir Dogs has aged out hard. No, it that has movie aged out. Never comes up. I just think you know. I think when you talk about Quentin Tarantino as just a filmmaker in general, that's screenwriter and director. I think other directors could have directed Reservoir Dogs. I yeah. think other directors maybe could have done Kill Bill, but this movie is just so particular. Pulp Fiction is so particular. Only he could have really directed. Yeah, that. yeah. They have his style all over them, and so I mean, he had made Kill Bill Volume Two mm-hmm. back in uh, I think it's like two thousand. What is it, like two thousand? 
five, six, no, four. I think it's four. He doesn't four. four. Okay, yeah. yeah, it's like oh three, oh four when those two movies come out, and then he he does the the death proof uh, planet terror combo a couple years later, which is kind of the low point. It feels like that's his low point easily. Death yeah. proof is my least favorite of his films. Yeah, and then he does this, and in two thousand nine, so really he hadn't had a hit movie in about six years by the time this came out. Wow. There's a lot of expectation, so I I remember going to see this in theaters because I, I grew up with an older brother who absolutely adored Tarantino. Oh, really? Like, like in my in my house, we listened to the soundtrack to to, to Pulp Fiction on road trips. Oh, and nice. Like, my family was obsessed. So like we all those early Tarantino movies prior to Kill Bill coming out, uh, the first three, Jackie Brown, Pulp Fiction, and Reservoir Dogs, right. they were on in my house all the time. So when I was a little kid, I just knew them like the back of my hand, and so. You know, naturally, you kind of absorb what you're raised with. So when Kill Bill came out, it wasn't really for me. I didn't like Kill Bill one and two very much. They were all right, but they just the, the like sword fighting stuff. It just was a, it was a different thing. It wasn't right. it wasn't the crime stuff from those first three. It the was sound this effects. Different it's, world. It's a little more over the top than anything he's done. It was campier, very and campy. I ended up buying it a little more to Volume Two because it's more dialogue heavy. But even then, I wasn't that excited about it. So then, when you know, Death Proof Planet Terror came out, I watched those and I was like. Yeah, this guy's kind of nice. Kind of lost it. He's not really my not really my guy that I thought I grew up with. So, so then, of course, this movie comes out. I see it in theaters with pretty low expectations. I thought it was good, but I didn't care that much. When I've gone back to rewatch it now for this show, oh. I was blown away by how good it was. I it, it really it was really compelling. That's the thing. It, it, it ages. It, it doesn't. It ages like wine. It yeah. just gets better and better each time you watch it. I think so. Oddly enough, I watched it for the first time with my younger brother. Okay, uh, and my best friend from high school, Christian, had uh, showed me Pulp Fiction. He introduced me to Tarantino, and that's when I was just getting into film. And uh, I watched *Inglorious Bastards*, not knowing it was one of his movies, and just loved it. Just fell in love with it. Was so captivated by it. Thought it was really interesting and just intriguing. The fact that he would change history. It was such a departure from what he had done because a lot of his films took place sort of modern day. But this was a World War II film. Yeah, yeah, it is fully a World War II film. And when wow. I think about it, it doesn't. It's almost like in my memory, it doesn't feel as much like that. But it, that is the setting. Right. Obviously, it's just like so. The characters all feel kind of larger than life. So crazy. Um, yeah. So this movie, uh, you know, comes out in 2009. It's made for 70 million dollars by the Weinstein <sighs> Company at the time when the name was still, you know. Uh, clean um, and uh, it comes out August 21st 2009 I moved to Los Angeles on August 3rd 2009 so really this was the first movie in a theater that I saw when I moved here that's awesome yeah what a great movie to see and now he's got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and uh, I, I taped my next Schmodown match uh, on <laughs> August 3rd okay. which is the 10 year anniversary of my move to Los Angeles no way yeah, it'll be 10 years August 3rd would crazy. you look at that? That oh, is wow. crazy. Yeah, I mean, the and the, the production history, I don't think, in my opinion, if I, I didn't, I wasn't really paying attention when it came out, but I'd seen like the poster, it never really intrigued me like yeah. that. It's just his posters are usually awesome, but um, it's a little bit of an odd poster, just such a departure from his other work that I feel like the expectation going in is really Brad Pitt. You're that's that was he the needed, main selling point. He needed Brad Pitt to make this movie, mm-hmm. was, he, he absolutely needed that. So, um, you know, he he uh makes it for 70 million, it makes 120.6 million dollars domestically, another 200.9 foreign for a total gross of 321.5 million dollars, triple. That's a that's great. It opens number one for thirty eight million. You know, proving that both Brad Pitt and Quentin Tarantino's names still play. Critical on this movie, it has an eight point three on IMDb. Uh, the all critics give it an eighty eight. So do the top critics. Um, all pretty pretty great across the board as far as the ratings on this movie go. Um, you know, very very well received. So feels like feels like th- from this moment forward, we you kind of had the next part of his career. Like I, I almost mark 
Inglorious Bastards as part two of Quentin Tarantino's career. Feels like everything from Reservoir Dogs through Death Proof is like phase one. Right. I, I think it's odd because I feel like Kill Bill, Inglorious, and Django all have a similar theme of revenge. Yeah. So, but I think in terms of his craftsmanship, in terms of the level of the types of stories he's, he's trying to tell, I think this is a good part two marker because, uh, I mean, the film, Django Unchained is very similar to this. Yeah. It's more specific with the characters and who's getting revenge and who, who's taking it back. But, uh, yeah, this is a good part two. I think, um, I think he had a bit of a Western phase yeah. and now he's going out of that into something a little more. I, it feels to me like, and I'm, I, I go to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood tonight, so I haven't seen oh, it yet. But, so jealous Jeff's wife saw it. Yeah, I'm so excited to see it. It feels like, and, and again, not to harp on it, but um, this is the first Tarantino movie to come out since the Weinstein stuff happened. Oh, and interesting point. He, he was so closely associated with the Weinstein company for such a long time. Right. It's also not a film that's a period piece as much. Like, it is obviously based in the 60s, but it's not like Civil War era or, you, you know what I'm saying? Right. It's not, hev- I don't think it's heavily relying on It's that. not World War II. I will say, though, uh, my wife's early review is that, like, the historical interest is very heavily ingratiated in the film. Like, they... Interesting. Re- like, I think... Well, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but <laughs> I know from, like, a set design perspective, it is a very historically contextual film. Interesting. Yeah. He's so detailed in in all of his films, especially in Glorious Bastards and Django, that it has to be historically accurate. And, yeah. And, I mean, I think even in Hateful Eight, I don't, you haven't watched it yet, but there's a guitar that gets smashed that was tens of thousands of dollars because it was the real thing and wow. it didn't mean to get smashed and uh so yeah he's very very particular very particular that. yeah i think um i think this feels like it's kicking off the next part of his career and most interestingly this movie marked his return to critical significance because mm. pulp fiction had been nominated for three acting nominations in that film um, as well as best original screenplay which he wins for writing it i'm pretty certain yes and I, well he won and he also won for Django. yeah those yeah. are the, those are the yeah, those are the two. And uh, the film was obviously nominated for Best Picture. But after that film, he, he doesn't really get much in the way of critical recognition for a very long time. Mm-hmm. This kicked off the Hollywood was ready to sort of welcome him back and be like, OK, well, you're making movies that we're supposed to care about again. Oh, yeah. Um, because this film and Django both were nominated for you know a lot of awards. Even Hateful Eight was nominated for one acting Oscar. Yeah, and I think and score. I think he even won for score. He did. But, but the, uh, yeah, this is a comeback film, I think, for him. I yeah. think... Uh, because Death Proof, I'm I'm just gonna say it. I think it's bad. I'm not about it. I really don't. I don't enjoy it. I think I've watched it once, and it was kind of a, an odd watch. There's just not much to latch onto there, especially character wise, because he's so great with his writing. I mean, this movie is so well written. He teases little character pieces just through subtle dialogue. You don't even notice right. the development. Yeah, it's absolutely. Great. Um, so, all right, we're going to get into favorite line here, uh, next oh, part of the show, and then we have an AMA question to answer from Nat, Matt Nikisic, so stay tuned for that, guys. Uh, do you want to jump in first with your favorite line? Yes, Jeff, I think I also have that on there, real well, quick. I just reject your hypothesis. That's, that's not, that was what <laughs> Quentin Tarantino said in the interview. Oh, uh, the interview it's, it's the other one, I think it's second from the left. Ooh, that's a bingo. Yeah, it was the bingo. Uh, I think that's a bingo, and I have another favorite line. Am I allowed to say two? Yeah, please. I'll say Alvita to your Nazi balls. When does that happen? Oh my god! Oh, gosh. it's in the bar the scene. Bar scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nazi balls. <laughs> the start of a gunshot in there. Uh, the yeah, the bar scene is so intense. 
And I mean, two thirds of this movie is not in English. Yeah. So you're reading it and you're so captivated by what's going on. So at the end, when they, they do switch to English, uh, he says, I'm going to go out speaking to kings. And then he just says, Stiglitz. And he goes, Say all Vita Zay to your Nazi balls. Yeah. Pulls the trigger. What a badass line. It's pretty awesome. Oh yeah. my gosh. That scene is pretty incredible Love in general. Um, I think my favorite line is you actually alluded to it earlier when he's talking about, he sits down in the initial scene and he says, Can I get you wine? And he says, no, you are a dairy farmer. Um, is it safe to assume that you have milk? That's your favorite line? Wow. Well, because I love there's – this, there's this way that Hans addresses people throughout the whole film where he's like incredibly polite. So polite. But it's like false. You know that it's actually – he is a polite person, but he's also doing it to like – it's a power dynamic a he's trying to game. do. He's trying to get you to feel like, but you just be, and so I love, as you mentioned, it's like this emasculating line Mm -hmm. where he's sort of saying to him, like, uh, you're not, like, A, you're not going to get me drunk. B, you're a farmer. I'm here. I know who you are. You have no power here. You know who I am. Yeah. You've heard of me. And C, you're not going to, I'm not going to take what you're offering me. I'm going to tell you what I want. I'm going to give me the thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, let me, let me judge you. How good's your milk? And also, I mean, just the idea that he's, he's playing, he's asking for permission. Yeah. When he knows he doesn't need permission. Yeah. He's like, may I have another glass? I think when they're leaving, may I have your permission because it is your house that changed languages. Um, I also think the the other one is when he does change and he says, it's safe to assume because I've heard no disturbances that they don't speak the language because you're like, Oh my God, I know what's about to happen. Those two moments in that scene for me are both ones. Those are incredible lines. And also, that's a bingo. Hilarious. Incredible. <laughs> you just say bingo. Um, so uh, those are our favorite lines, guys. Question from Matt Nikisic. I'm just going to cue the chat up here. I like to keep reloading it. Um, his question is, is there anyone else you can see playing the Hans Landa character? Waltz does an amazing job, especially in the opening scene. But is there an actor you think that can match the way he brings such a spooky, menacing mood to the role? I think Mads Mikkelsen would have been a good fit. It's a good suggestion, actually. Mads is, is a smart... That's a smart suggestion. Um, James Bond fame. I don't know how many. I don't know how many actors out there. I couldn't see anyone. I, I even Mads Mikkelsen. I have to knock him down, not to throw shade, but I mean, Doctor Strange. Like he just he just really pull off that villain. So if you can't really do that, it's a question it, of it's accents. more the writing. Uh, yeah, the accents. I think huh, this was Christoph Waltz's role. This was it. He was born to play this role. I think. The, I think the other actors I could see doing this. If you had given me two thousand nine, Tom Wilkinson. Um, okay. I don't know how much faith I have necessarily in his ability to do the accent, but I love his presence. He's an incredible actor. I think Wilkinson could have been amazing. It's possible in two thousand nine, a Ben Kingsley could have pulled this off. Ben Kingsley's a good pick. I think he might he might be a little old. Yep, for and that one agreed. And then the last would be Fassbender. You, I could have seen Fassbender in the role. Now I don't think any of them probably do Ooh, it as well. Right. Um, but I think all three of those could have taken a crack at it, and I would have been impressed. Fassbender, because Fassbender, it's a good like pick. when he plays David in the in the Alien films, um, and he has that creepy, menacing, like where he's really nice, right, you know, subtle. I think he could do that kind of similar thing, and maybe that would work. I think he could have. I, maybe a little young, oddly enough, for the yeah. role. I think the, the Christoph Waltz was not only just a great pick because of his performance, but his age. He's at such a unique just age right. where yeah. you can tell he's seen a lot. Yep. And he, he's kind of 
been through the better his better years. He, yeah. He's at his peak right now. Yeah. Whereas Fassbender, I still feel like was on the uh, the come up. Oh, uh, Ding Dong in the chat just suggested Ben Mendelsohn. That's a great suggestion. Ooh. And da- and Daniel Day Lewis suggests Jonathan Peck. I mean, they, it's hard to say Daniel Day Lewis couldn't like you know because he could do anything. Oh, yeah, you do it. But uh, guys, we just have a couple minutes left here. So last couple things here to get through. Who would you have rather seen in the role of Hans Landa, Tom Cruise or Nick Cage? I'd go Tom Cruise. Yeah. Especially collateral, yeah. Tom Cruise. Oh my gosh, collateral, collateral era Cruise with the uh, with the interrogation. <laughs> Definitely would have been a lot more action. I feel like the leap when he strangles her yeah. after he puts the shoe on would have been a lot, a lot more showy <laughs> if athletic. it was Tom Cruise. Yeah, a lot more athletic. <laughs> Cage is in the interview. Since your house, is it safe to assume you have milk? Like, maybe, I don't know. Your don't milk. Know. Yeah, I, I don't... I I think I would just get scared in a cage, drove up. This milk is obviously rotten. Um, all right, so uh, we, there are three action movie categories, That's guys. Totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. Now, this is a really interesting one because of the premise of the film, hmm. and especially the stuff towards the end of it. The the I think you would lean into totally legitimate because of the intensity of so much of the movie. However... I think it's also totally reasonable to make the argument that's ridiculously legitimate because it's such an absurd movie. Very absurd in the end. Yeah. In terms of historically accurate, well, I think. And uh, also just like the, the way that it's like the close-up of Hitler's head getting shot up. Oh, right. And Style. like <laughs> there's so much of it, like the bear Jew and scalping Nazis, like so much of it is so over the top. Really over the top. I think I go middle category on this movie. I don't. I don't think when I watch this movie you can do anything other than sort of like it is a little ridiculous. It's not a bad way, so maybe that makes it because it's intentional. It's right I, on the line. I think it can be a little... It's it's meta at the end. I, yeah. I alluded to it earlier, but, I mean, they're playing... There's a movie within the movie, and they're watching it, and it's a, a uh, propaganda film. Right. In a way, you could... If you're in the theater watching Glorious Bastards, we're in a similar situation right. as those Nazis watching Nation's Pride. And so I think that was him kind of winking at the audience, like, hey... It's not so ridiculous uh, that that you know they did this. Yeah. So let's make. So yeah, that's exactly. probably. So part- I, I I would actually go for legitimate though because yeah. I mean this movie for as many differences they make historically. Yeah. I just think there's so much underneath. It's so well written. Yeah. That, that I would go totally legitimate. It's fair. It's a fair. It's a fair argument, guys. Uh, only one last thing left to do on the show today, and that is called the pitch. He didn't do the pitch with me. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't know if I was supposed to say it at the same time. <laughs> the pitch. There you go. There you go. Um, next week, we are going to be reviewing the brand new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So a lot of this uh, Who is Quentin Tarantino information will be repeated once again. Drew will be back from China. Super duper excited about wow. doing that one. Uh, I get to go see it tonight, as I mentioned. I can't wait. A couple quick shout-outs to the generals in the Action Army. we got at Andrew Hayes, Paul Denuzio, Billy Belford. Oh, I said I just heard a. Sorry, y'all. No worries. That was Jeff's alarm clock. Andrew Hayes, Paul Denuzio, Billy Belford, John Getz, John Patterson, Jake Yacovetta, Kyle Grandinetti, Jonathan Peck, Kelsey Kirkland, Mac Ryan, brand new generals in the army, AJ Lancaster, and new this morning, Nick Gilmore. Welcome. Guys, we salute you. So, uh, a couple quick shout outs before we get out of here. Last thing, one more time, Ryan, if folks want to find you, where can they find you on the social? At Ryan Nilsen underscore N-I-L-S-E-N on Twitter and Instagram. You guys can find me at Ben Bateman Media. You can find Team Action Show on Twitter, Action Industries, everywhere else. Be sure to get your tickets now. Action Live, August 29th, New York Comedy Club in the East Village. Tickets are on sale right now at the New York Comedy Club website. Drew and I are going to be live doing a combination show, Action Movie Anatomy, The Action Guys, and some sort of schmodown 
talk uh, in New York. We can't wait. Go get your tickets now. It's going to be an unbelievable show. And please check out patreon.com slash team action if you guys want exclusive behind-the-scenes content every single week. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Popcorn Talk. We'll see you guys all next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.